Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. As many of you know who listen to the podcast on a regular basis, um, I have a teenage son on the autism spectrum that is nonverbal. So when the Pixar animated short Loop came out, I was beyond excited to watch that. And it was so nice to finally see in some form or fashion, all aspects of the spectrum represented. Most of the media now um, that talks about autism doesn't really get into the extreme side of the spectrum with nonverbal children and teenagers. So Loop really resonated with me and the experiences that I go through and that Skylar goes through on a daily basis. So I was so thrilled to have the opportunity to sit down for this episode of the podcast with the filmmaking team for Loop, um, Erica, the director, Chrissy, and Michael, the two producers. And we talk about the background um, for coming up with Loop and some of the things that they gained from this project uh, through the research and the making of the film. So please enjoy this special conversation with the Pixar filmmaking team for Loop. So I'm beyond excited uh, for the opportunity that I get to chat today with the filmmaking team for the Pixar animated short Loop. Hopefully most of my listeners have seen um, the awesome production that was Loop. Um, So welcome to Living the Sky Life, Michael Warch, Erica Milson, and uh, Chrissy Kababa. Hello, thanks. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So um, getting started, I guess, I mean, as I mentioned to you guys before, I'm the parent of a nonverbal autistic teenager. My son is 16 and this Um, animated short moved me to tears. I was so excited to finally see representation for the nonverbal side of autism. Um, And it was just, it was phenomenal. So um, I would love to know what inspired the, um, the loop uh, writing Erica that I guess you wrote and directed the film. Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much. It means so much to hear from audiences that it connected with them and, you know, made, people feel seen. So I super appreciate that. Um, And you know, the inspiration, it's funny, I had, I more recently had been teaching a class in the last couple of years at an art center for adults with disabilities here in the city where I live, Richmond, California. And I had had a couple of really interesting experiences where, you know, there are a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different kinds of disabilities that they have at this art center. But many people don't talk with their mouth parts, you know, they communicate uh-huh. in different ways. And so I'd had this experience multiple times where I would be near someone trying to make a connection and just failing miserably um, because I didn't give it enough time and space to grow as a connection. And I just thought 
as I was kind of coming up with an idea for the short, I was really thinking about, well, what are the experiences I've had that other people haven't necessarily had, um, but that we can that we can all kind of feel like that feeling of not knowing how to connect to someone and that feeling of, of feeling like you have profound differences that you can't overcome. I think a lot of us have um, at different points in our life. And this was just sort of this like perfectly amplified situation that also had a lot of potential in terms of pantomime and performance. And that was something that I thought Pixar, it'd be really cool to have all of our Pixar artists be able to enter a space where they are trying, seeking to understand and inhabit the life of a non-speaking character. Honestly, mm -hmm. in the beginning, I didn't know that that character would be autistic. Uh, in the beginning, I thought, you know, the, I was like, well, I want her to not speak. I knew I wanted to be a her and that she would not use language as a, you know, spoken language as a communication thing, but I didn't know why. And then I sat down with one of our colleagues and my friend, Adam Burke, whose son is autistic. And we just sort of were talking through that. And then we talked to a lot of parents at Pixar about whose children have different disabilities related to communication. And as folks started to explain, you know, what, how autism can manifest at different points in the spectrum and, and relates to communication, I was like, wow, this is a really cool, um, you know, this is a really cool po potential storytelling thing where we can really get into a different way of experiencing the world and also communicating. So that was where the inspiration came from. It was sort of unfolded from, you know, a really simple experience of just sitting next to an artist who did not talk but communicated differently, trying to find a way to connect, and then really getting into this understanding autism more deeply, first from parents, and then we definitely immediately dived into getting consultants on the project who were autistic, and um, that was absolutely essential for us. So now, and Erica, you were the writer of that. I mean, it was so well written. The story was it was perfect from beginning to end. You know, just again from my perspective of being a parent of a nonverbal child, I knew where you were going with it, and I um I, I felt that you took took the the watchers, you know, the viewers there. Um, oh, as far as the production side of things, Chrissy, what? For, for those of us who have no idea the differences in what your roles are on the film, what is the production side of, of making an animated short like that? Well, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, it is, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, on the Spark shorts, um, really the producer's job is pretty much everything that's not um, directly related. Actually, it's, it's pretty much everything that you would think of behind the scenes. So you have to hire a crew and you have to, um, make sure that you fit within the budget that you're given and you have to make sure that uh, the schedule is working on time and that uh, um, you're tracking all the little bits of information um, that need to get from one department to another and you need to make sure that um, the director's vision is, is getting communicated to the crew who are going to execute that vision. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces. What I really loved about working on, um, on Loop was that because this is a spark short and because um, the crews were so small is that, you know, you really are, um, I really got to spend so much time with Erica and especially with um, the main creatives, um, Danielle Feinberg, our director of photography and our, also our supervising technical director and also Jason Brodkey, our lead editor and really talking about how to craft this story to make it as emotional and as, believable and as truthful 
as we could. And that was a, a really satisfying part for me. But a lot of it really is just, just sort of, you know, making sure that things are moving and um, that uh, everybody has what they need to get their work done in the time that they need to do it. And you guys, Michael, it's funny because we were so lucky. I was so lucky because I got to have two very amazing producers on the show. Chrissy was on the second half and Michael, who, who just is here now, <laughs> is on the first half. Like, yeah, hi. Um, yeah, I, I could add to that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> what's unique about these projects is the budgets are minuscule compared to features. Um, so, you know, it's always a balance of trying to work with the artists to, you know, make them understand that we can only take things to such a level of polish and perfection and they're not used to that. So it's a real shift in the way to think. And um, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, people usually get cast here on shows based on when they wrap films, their whatever the next film is, but this is something people were drawn to because they really wanted to work on it. So, so it was a, a crew that was really engaged with the subject matter and um, knew Erica and really wanted to work with her as a first-time director and knew her potential and her sensibilities. So it, it was kind of special in that sense for me. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> Seems like a, a very well put together team. <laughs> so in uh, Erica, I, you know, you had mentioned just a little bit ago that you um, consulted with some autism groups and um, how did you come about casting um, the young lady who uh, voiced the main character or, you know, made the sounds for <laughs> the main character yeah. and, yeah. and just all of that. Cause I know there obviously were only a few speaking roles and, and parts that needed casting, but how did all that come into play? Yeah. Well, I'd say I'll, I'll talk about consultants first um, because right in the beginning when basically when we decided that um, Renee was being going to be an autistic character I was like oh okay I need to start talking with autistic people and um, so initially we didn't really have like the legal stuff in place to bring on real uh, like uh, professional consultants so I actually reached out to a childhood or a friend of mine who I've known since she was born who's autistic and she, though she's not non-speaking she came in and we uh, basically read the script aloud. What I think it was probably like my fourth draft or something of the script. We didn't have it in storyboards. We didn't have any of our early anim. It was just reading the script and saying, how does this feel? What feels genuine? What kind of makes you concerned? And it was, I have to say, for me, that was such an amazing experience because I hadn't ever had a chance to talk to her openly about her experience. But you know, there's certain things like having a sensory overload and, you know, just sort of listening to her explain what that felt like and then saying, you know, okay, well, if that feels like that to you, how would it, what would you want this other character to learn through this mm -hmm. process? You know, and she, I had kind of known what I needed him to learn, but I think when it was in there and she finished reading it, she kind of, she got very emotional and she's like, I never had kids in my class who understood this. And so to have him understand about like giving me space, but sitting next to me, what it might look like I want you to leave, but actually what I need is for you to be there, but be calm with me. Mm -hmm. uh, that was just like, I don't know, for me, that was like an amazing moment to read that script loud with her and hear that and have that connection with her that I would have never had had I not put this project into play. And then, but then we were like, okay, we really need to reach out and find a consultant who can now speak to us, can communicate with us with words, 
but who hadn't experienced being nonverbal as a child. So that's when we kind of found the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, and they were just such amazing partners um, helping us throughout the process. And then Michael, do you want to talk about casting for sure. a second? Yeah. Yeah, casting was interesting. Initially, um, some of our casting folks at the studio were encouraging Erica to really think about using an actress and um, simulate the the experience. And she was, for her, that was just a non-starter. She was so adamant about it and just said that wasn't something she would even consider. And uh, it was kind of challenging with the studio because they knew it would be hard, um, but she persevered and um, once we had identified our actress, um, it was a real challenge to think about how we could capture all the vocalizations. And we experimented a little bit with the way we do things here, traditionally bringing an actor into the studio. And we quickly realized that was not an environment that was gonna be conducive to Maddie. So we actually ended up going to her home and that was a much more comfortable environment. And, the way Erica worked with her um, was really inspiring to see how she warmed up to her and how patient she was with her and how they developed a bond over time and trust. And uh, it was really kind of improvisational. We got what we could and um, got stuff that, you know, we couldn't really have in imagined ahead of time. And I think the project was better for it. And, you know, our editor was really key and thinking about how we could use what we got. And, uh, you know, the, the project was really evolved and like I said, improvisational in that sense. Yeah, it was cool. I feel like the editor loved this process. And I think part of it is like, you know, traditionally, I wrote a script and there was, you know, there's a script, but it describes emotionally what Renee is doing, not necessarily, <laughs> you know, her dialogue. So they had this interesting process of like marking the, the footage that they that we collected, they marked it more for how it felt than what it was saying. And then they sort of organized it by feeling. And then he was able to go through and place the the vocalizations where the feelings needed to be in the story. You know? So yeah. it's it was just really interesting. That was a very cool process. And then Chrissy, do you mind talking for a minute about ASAN and how they um, helped us through kind of their uh, what's it called? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank you. Yes. So the Autistic Self Advocacy Network was a huge help to us, um, and they were so great to work with. We showed them the film uh, twice during production. I think um, once when it was before we had started animating. So they were really just looking at what we call a storyboard version of the film, which is basically just line drawings, but then you're playing it like a movie, which has the, you know, it has the dialogue and it has um, music and sound effects and all that. So it looks like a movie except for the picture. And they gave us feedback on what they thought, you know, what, what they thought was working for them and what, um, what they didn't like so much. They gave us a little, um, you know, uh, guidance on what, what they felt was successful and not su so successful. And also about what they felt was a realistic portrayal for someone um, who had been nonverbal. We were really lucky in that one of the consultants we worked with had been nonverbal as a child. So that was a really helpful experience to have. And I think one of the most helpful things that they, um, they helped us with was with Renee's point of view. The, when, she, when she is looking at Marcus, or I should rather say when she's not looking at Marcus, but when <laughs> she's paying attention to Marcus, uh, the camera and the sound and 
you know, the, the film image looks different than when it's Marcus looking at her. Mm-hmm. And they really helped us find that. Uh, we did some experiments with our lighting department and um, what Renee's point of view might look like um, based on some information and some research that Erica had done. And there, were, I think we presented them with five options and we had all decided, oh, well, they're going to pick this one. This is the one we like. We think it's the most soothing. And, you know, this other one over here is really jarring and we don't think they're going to like that one. But when we presented them the options, they, they went the exact opposite of what we had picked. So they thought the one that we thought was stressful was the most soothing one. And they thought the one that we, we liked and thought was cinematic and beautiful, they thought that was really stressful. So that was just a really great, um, really clear illustrative point about like how, you know, neurotypical folks and neurodivergent folks, you know, really don't see eye to eye. You know, we really have different ways of seeing things and it helped us develop Renee's point of view and it helped us develop that look of the film. They also gave us a really great note at the end of the film where, um, when they watched the film, one the biggest comment they had was, hey, you know, it was really, really stressful for us when she lost her phone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing how important the phone is as a method of communication. And before uh, we had talked to them, there wasn't that ending bit where you see the phone in the bowl of rice. But Erica immediately knew because she had already wanted to do that. And so <laughs> Um, as soon as they said that, we're like, okay, we're going to make that happen. And, and so that, that was a really also a helpful note. Yeah, I love that. It, well, and you had said, you know, before just how many moving parts there are to everything. I mean, and I can only imagine all that t- goes into making even a short, um, <laughs> let alone a really long feature. Um, but, you know, one of the scenes, just talking about the different skylines and the, and the, um, the scenery involved in, in the film the scene where she is under the canoe and um, Marcus is just looking at her like helpless almost, mm-hmm. just the facial expressions on the two main characters, and just that whole part. I mean, it resonated so much with me. And I, I mean, it's just everything that you've said about the, the sky, the way it's lit up when it's facing, the canoe's facing a certain way where Marcus is, you know, more prevalent. And then when they flip the canoe and, and just kind of going through the, um, the water and all of the, the breeze and all that stuff. I mean, not one thing was missed as far as detail. Uh, it's just, it's so impressive. And I, I, I would imagine that so many other parents watching it could relate to, you know, just the, the noise on the phone, the dog barking, just all of those things. Um, yeah. You guys did not miss a single detail. So it, it was, so cool it was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> so hear that. Yeah, and it's funny because I originally, I really, I'd been watching stuff about like people who communicate with their phones and, you know, I've met people who communicate with their communication devices and talking devices. And my previous short film had been about Down syndrome. So I'd learned a lot about like, okay, like there's different ways that we can connect in the world and like different learning styles. Um, Like when you direct an actor with a disability or a different point of view, you have to kind of adapt your directing style to facilitate their performance, right? Mm -hmm. So it just, it was totally intriguing to me to see like, oh, the cell phone is such a funny part of this film and it is a joyous piece of self-soothing and it's also a way that she can express herself as a character. Like, you know, when I was writing along and 
you know, I needed her to respond to Marcus at some point. And I, I didn't know what I was like, well, what will she do? I know she needs to do it with her phone. I'm like, what's she going to do? And then I'm like, when the poop emoji came into my head, I was like, oh my God, I love Renee. <laughs> 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 She's so funny, you know, and it's that weird thing as you're developing a story and a character, you know, they tell you who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it was really fun because she, she has a strong personality. She has a strong presence that is beyond, it's not just her disability that is her presence. Like mm -hmm. her love of canoeing is a part of her presence. Her like interest in connecting with Marcus, her openness that comes along the way to connecting with him is also kind of wonderful about her. And then her sense of humor and that, you know, that passion for the reads and the things that she can unlock for him in the world. I think it was just really nice to have this character walk into my brain and, and tell me these things, you know? Well, it was yeah. nice too, because it shows that it, just because you're nonverbal doesn't mean that you don't understand or that you're not intelligent. You know, yeah. just by the emoji, it showed that she's very smart. She knows exactly what she wants to say. She just has a difficulty getting it out. So, yeah. mm -hmm. um, you know, it presented her in a nice light. So, um, you know, the last thing I just kind of wanted to ask each of you is, um, you know, why you felt that it was an important story to tell with Loop? Because we've not before seen um, any real, you know, d devotion to autism and nonverbal autism in any kind of a film or um, animation film and um, what you kind of hope the viewers would take away from watching it, whether people have experience with anyone on the spectrum or they don't and they just watched it and they learned something, you know, what, what was the takeaway that you hope that they, that they gained from it? Yeah. Michael, well, you want to start? Or Chris is starting. There we yeah, go. Yeah, why don't I start? Well, for me, um, I, I, I had, prior to this, I had no experience with um, people with autism, either in my personal life or in my professional life. So learn, for me, learning about autism and meeting our um, actress Madison and, you know, just exploring this, this, um, this world was really, really um, a benefit for me and really something that is, um, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity for. But what I, when I see Loop, I'm not, I think for me, it's, I really hope that people get out of it two things. One is that um, of course, you know, greater understanding and empathy for, for those who are different from ourselves and especially um, folks who are autistic or on the spectrum in some way. But the bigger thing is, you know, again, just I think having empathy, empathy for the other, empathy for people who are not exactly like us or who maybe don't have the same background and that, um, you know, sometimes what it takes is a little patience and a little understanding to be able to bridge that gap. And I really hope that Loop um, has that message and that people re relate to that in some way. That's what I, that's what I hope people get out of it. Yeah, um, for me, similar to what Chrissy said, I've got a few friends and family who have children who are autistic. And, um, you know, I think a lot of them feel a real stigma around it and don't really want to even acknowledge that the condition exists with their children. And, you know, I just hope a film like this can take that stigma away and make people who have families with children with this condition would feel more open to acknowledge it and be open about it. And um, so, yeah, I, I hope it, it did some of that. Yeah. I mean, for me, overall, I'm hoping it break down, breaks down our fears of difference. You know, there, I know that when you don't know what to do and someone is communicating in a way that you don't understand, there can be this in, 
you know, first response to feel afraid. And what I really hope is that it instead opens up this idea of feeling interest and generosity and potential, you know, that we can flip that fear around and make it curiosity. Um, so that's, you know, what I really hope we do. And then also just for autistic audiences, I want people to feel seen and to have that pleasure of connection to a character. Like, I feel like we, we get such pleasure when we connect to a character that feels like us and that we can talk about to other people around us and that, you know, you can share like sort of this, like, oh, it was on the screen. You saw it, I saw it. Let's share this connection to a character who feels like me. So that really, I, and, and you know, Twitter, which is such a nice place in the autism Sometimes. community. <laughs> so weird. I've had such a lovely experience. I was never on Twitter before, but now like I've gotten to have these conversations with autistic people who've watched it and they just, it, it's really satisfying and, and makes you feel so happy that your aspirations met, gave them something that they didn't know was coming and that they feel joyful about, you know. Well, that's so sweet. I mean, from the bottom of my heart and so many other families that I've talked to through the podcast or just my friends in the, in the autism community, we are just so grateful and thankful that you guys put in the time and the effort to make this, this movie to happen, happen. I mean, I just, I can't thank you enough for giving a voice to the voiceless and showing you know, the other side, all we ever had in the past is Rain Man. And that's what everybody thinks of autism. And it's just so <laughs> far from that. It's just, it's not even an accurate depiction really at all. Um, so this just gives the other side of the spectrum, which as you mentioned earlier, Erica is so often um, just unspoken about and, and unrepresented. So thank you so very much for this and oh, for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, Lori. And you know, honestly, one last thing, you guys sharing your life, I have to say, I for like the two months before I made this, even started this film, all I did was listen to people on the internet talking about their experience, both parents and people with autism and people on the spectrum. And I think you're, you're such a powerful voice in connecting all of us to each other. So thank you for doing what you do. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. All right, now let's all go have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again to all of you. I appreciate it. Take Thank care. you so much, Bye. Lori. Okay. Great to talk with you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life, and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.